Hello and welcome back to the Next Stage podcast by Web Summit. My name is Luke and today we're taking you inside the minds of business and cultural leaders from around the globe. It's Tuesday, so we're looking at some of the best and brightest minds that CollisionConf has to offer. So sit back, relax and listen in. We'll be hearing from leading minds and industry giants from all over the planet. Hello and welcome to Collision. I'm going to just jump right into the questions. Wayne, thanks so much for joining me. And I want to start by asking you about something I keep hearing you say. Uh, you took over as CEO almost a year ago, and you've been talking about Lime, which I think most people think of as a scooter company, but actually being in the business of micromobility. So why don't you give us a little bit of a sense of what does that mean to you and how that has informed some of the strategic moves you've made over the past year? Yeah, well, first, Connie, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, and you know, it's a, always great to, to catch up with folks uh, from CNET. So you're absolutely right. We don't see ourselves as a, a scooter company. Um, in fact, we see ourselves as something much bigger than that. Um, and the way we think about ourselves is a mobility platform. And we want to serve any trip under five miles. And the way um, we think about that is that today, most of the world's trips are being served by cars. And they're being served poorly by the cars. The cars are expensive. They're congested. They actually um, result in an enormous amount of deaths in the country. 40,000 Americans almost every year die from cars and their transportation is the number one source of greenhouse gas pollutions. And so when we think about how do we solve this huge problem, everybody needs to move around and we actually don't have a great way to move around. Our, our question is how do we offer a suite of modes that are all green, they're all shared, all electric, affordable and equitable so that over time you can open the Lime app and get from point A to point B with the mode of your choosing. And so we started with scooters. We're now the world's largest e-bike operator outside of China. And recently um, we launched our e-moped and every one of these modes serve a different need, it's different distances, if you have cargo or not. And over time, they're collectively gonna be a car replacement. And all you're gonna need is the Lime app to go from anywhere you need to go within your city. Okay, so let's talk about the different modes. All right, you, you mentioned that you started in scooters, you were in and out of bikes, you're now fully back in e-bikes, and most recently e-mopeds, which I know is just is just literally starting. I think you haven't even launched uh, in your cities yet, but you will be in the next com coming months. All of these are uh, two-wheeled electric vehicles, and they also have issues about safety and um, you know, I, I don't know that I would jump on a, a, an e-moped and feel confident, you know, scooting around a, a, a city. So let's talk about some of the barriers to getting people to adopt these solutions. So start with what is your responsibility in training people so that they're using these, uh, you know, these different modes of transportation safely? And then secondly, we'll talk about the challenges that you face with cities, because I imagine there's infrastructure that has to be put in place to support these different avenues. So let's start with the responsibility on how do you make sure that you don't have people out of control winging across public areas, knocking themselves and other people down? What is the responsibility there? Absolutely. You know, I, I think we have a lot of responsibility. Um, I, I actually think one of the one of the fair critiques of tech companies over the last decade is that people put products out into the world and then and then their, their response is, well, we are not responsible for how people use that product. I think that cannot be our stance. Um, if we're going to be a transportation company that people trust, we have to put safety at the heart of everything we do. And when we thought about launching eMoped, for example, we said, let's make sure we launch with the most comprehensive safety program 
ever as part of Shared eMoped. We partnered with the Motorcycle Safety Foundation to put out training programs, mandatory tests, uh, videos that people can watch, DIY um, um, tests that riders can do at home. So that when you take a ride, we know you've at least have watched sufficient amount of training and then taken a test to show us that you guys retain that information. We also um, invest in technology, for example, like um, lifeless um, um, tests where we're trying to see if you are who you say you are. Because sometimes people put somebody else's driver's license. We take a picture of you and in real time, we know that you're actually the person in the driver's license. We have helmet tests to ensure that when you are on a, um, a, an e-moped, you actually have a, have a helmet on. And in all of our helmet boxes, we have sensors to know that we have a helmet in there, you've taken it out at the beginning of the ride and you put it back at the end of the ride. There's numerous other training safety technology investments we've made because we absolutely must put safety first and we must view it as part of our core mission. Um, and, and so I, I absolutely think that's critical. I, I think the second part um, of your question is around infrastructure, which I think is incredibly important as well, because I think sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, look at e-bikes or e-scooters and, and there's a perception that it could be unsafe. But our e-scooters only go 10 to 15 miles per hour and they weigh 30, 40, 50 pounds. If you go full speed um, against another e-scooter, you're going to get hurt, but you're not going to see the type of really serious injuries. When serious injuries happen with an e-bike and an e-scooter, it's almost always when a car traveling 30, 40 miles per hour hits you. And the most important thing to prevent that type of behavior is protected bike lanes. We need to have a different conversation with how do we share our roadways. And, and, and one of the most innovative laws recently passed is this idea of a vision zero law. So DC passed it, Cambridge, Massachusetts passed it. And all it says is that whenever we're gonna do a road improvement, we must, as part of that, add uh, protected bike lanes. Right now we fight street by street and there's always somebody who says, why are we adding a bike lane? I don't want this on my street versus the expectation that the future of transportation isn't just for cars. It's a multimodal future and we gotta create better infrastructure. And that is the most important part. If we wanna talk about safety for micro mobility, we got to start thinking about how do we share that roads in a safe way. Okay, well, let's just break down the two things you said. When it comes to training and being comfortable getting on a scooter or an e-bike or you know, in the coming months on an e-moped, all of the training you're talking about is I'm watching videos, I'm taking a written test. Basically, you do have, though, opportunities to have people take uh, like real live training classes with the equipment itself before they start using it as a commute vehicle, right? How much of a percentage of your uh, base has been taking advantage of that before they get on a vehicle? Yeah, so we, we actually launched the moped already on, um, in DC and you know we do have in-person uh, trainings and, and we call these um, first ride academies and we do them all around the world for all of our modes. Uh, the, the, the reality though is that it's, a, it's hard to scale in-person training and we try to do it as much as possible and we wanna be in communities, especially communities that, that traditionally are underserved by these modes of transportation. We wanna make sure we're there, we're offering free rides. We have somebody who can train with them. We also do it in parking lots, places where you go a little bit slower, you can feel safe. But transportation is a, is a global product, you know, and every, all of us every day, multiple times a day have to go somewhere. And that's part of transportation. If we're really gonna to have to do in-person training, it's gonna be hard to scale. And so that's why in addition to uh, First Rides Academy, 
we also have digital training tools that allow us to learn how to take a ride. And then we have tests that are, um, um, that are complements to that, so that at the end of it, we, we know you've retained that information. I think we gotta do all of the above. In-person alone is not gonna be enough, but we're gonna, if we do all of the above, we'll, we'll get there um, and making sure that when people take that first ride, they know how to do it. And I hope that in the future, you'll release some more information about the kinds of accidents and the, you know, um, how many safe rides, for instance, people have taken out of the total rides that you're giving, because I think that transparency around uh, that it's not something that is hazardous to your health or to other commuters would be a useful metric for, for you to share with not just your riders, but with all of us in the media who cover this space and have these questions. When you go up to a city and try to get a permit, obviously this is something you have to do city by city. Every city in the world, not just in the United States, has their own requirements. Is the conversation about bike lane now being built into part of those discussions? Yeah, well, first, Connie, on your first question, we actually do release um, our safety data. 99.99% of the trips are safe, zero incident. And of the, of the very, very few trips that are unsafe, the vast majority are minor injuries, and we still track that. In fact, we have uh, technology to, to detect uh, because we, we actually track the, the speed of the scooters and e-bikes. So if we detect, suddenly it stops, abruptly moves. We have a bunch of things that we say we believe an accident could potentially happen. We immediately reach out to the riders through our app, sometimes we call them, and to understand what exactly happened. And the vast majority of the incidents that we see in our platform are, are, are minor injuries. And when we compare e-bikes with, um, with, with scooters, with the information out there about bikes, we're in the equivalent uh, safety of, of a bike ride in most cities. And I know many people have been riding bikes in their cities. They understand the risk involved. It's not risk-free, um, but there's oftentimes, it is, it is a risk that I think people are comfortable with. Um, you know, I think going back to your, your second part of your question, which is absolutely, when we go to cities, we talk a lot about that infrastructure. And, and it's not just um, the infrastructure of, e, of protected bike lanes, which is one of the most important things uh, that we talk to cities about, but it's also about parking. It's also about um, the way we think about access to roadways. I think one of, the, one of the things that we don't even debate or challenge anymore is that we somehow believe the cars have a God-given right to our streets. And anybody who else comes to it is somehow is somehow trying to do something that we had to ask permission for. That fundamentally has to change. I get tagged all the time on social media. People are so angry. There's an e-bike or e-scooter outside of their door. And literally behind it, as they're shouting at me um, on, the, on these chats, is a thousand cars. A thousand cars as far as the eyes can see. And they don't see it because we are blinded to the cars. We, when we start to think about um, safety, we go to cities, we start to have these conversations because I know what cities care about. Cities want to have less congestion. They want to have more green trips and they want to make sure that these trips are done safely and affordably. Everything that the city tells us is their transportation goals, we can provide it into our, through our products. But the one thing we cannot provide is safe roads and protected bike lanes. And that's the piece we always talk to cities about where we need their help to help us meet and make sure that people are safe when they're on the road. Well, at least they're having the conversation. So I'm very optimistic about that because certainly in the past year here in the United States, certainly people bought every bike that they could buy. You couldn't find a bike for a while because people were very interested in you know, going small dis distances and they returned to bikes. So I think 
you're onto the right uh, aspect, especially for people who are concerned about climate. And as you say, cars, electric is a big mode of uh, power that everyone is interested in because we care about the future. So that is optimistic news. And I look forward to hearing more about that. Let me ask you about a different challenge. The past year has obviously been one. We're all living in some form of quarantine and lockdown. So lots of people haven't been riding scooters or going to work because they've been stuck at home streaming videos or doing what learning how to bake bread and make sourdough. So uh, you recently, I mean, you had to do a few things to help, you know, weather the storm, if you will. I know that you had a big funding round last year led by Uber. You had to lay off some people, but now you're in growth mode and you're even saying that you're going to be profitable for the first time this year. So what is driving that optimism? And tell us what you're seeing as we start to approach whatever this post-pandemic abnormal looks like. Yeah, you know, Connie, we're really optimistic about 2021. Um, and there's two, two major pieces to this. One is we are seeing cities come back. Um, we're seeing it in our own datas. Uh, we're seeing it, if you walk on the street, you see people back out, restaurants are opening. And one of the things that's been really interesting is we see a high correlation with vaccination rates and activities. And so as you, as vaccination rates get to 20, 25%, and many, and, and at that point, a majority of the most vulnerable, the elderly, people with comorbidity already are vaccinated. What you see is that um, hospital, hospitalization rates fall, deaths start to fall, and people start to come back out. We have markets today that are actually above where they were pre-pandemic already. Um, in particular, Israel is a great example of a country that's done a fantastic job vaccinating their populations. We see that data. We also see, of course, other regions that are falling slightly behind. And I think Europe, unfortunately, is going through a, a, another third wave. And I think certainly the news with AstraZeneca is not helpful uh, because a lot of their vaccines are, are, are um, from that uh, manufacturer. And so we're going to see different moments when cities come back, but I'm absolutely optimistic that cities will come back. And what we also know is that when they do come back, many more people are taking a chance with micro-mobility, in part because they still want a safe way, open-air, single-passenger way to move, in part because I think people are more conscious about the, the effects of climate change and, and what cars are doing to our cities. And so we're seeing our business rebound faster than I think our friends in rideshare and public transit and other modes. That also makes me very optimistic. The final piece is we've spent the last year making a lot of hard choices. I know we're not the only company that went through a hard time during COVID, but part of that, if there's a silver lining, is that it's made, forced us to be much more efficient. We invested in new hardware that lasts longer, that breaks less, and are easier to fix. We really improved our own productivity, and we had to make some hard choices at HQ to reduce the cost. We now have a cost structure ready to meet this moment, and I have every confidence that we're going to see a big rebound in top line, and we're going to have a cost structure that can allow us to be profitable this year. Um, I have to ask the IPO question. Is that something that you're also thinking about for the near future? Uh, you know, we, we I'll, I'll say this about, about, about equity and public. You know, we have an incredibly ambitious um, mission and vision. And, and we, I really hope there's a world where you and I can walk out the street and we can choose an e-bike, an e-scooter, an e-moped, all green electric modes of transportation instead of a car. And we can do that in concert with public transit. But for us to realize that, we may need additional capital. And so I think when I think about going public or raising additional capital or SPACs, we get a lot of calls from SPACs. Um, it's all the rage these days. I think about it in the context of what's going to allow us to achieve our mission. And as I think about the, the next couple of years, we're going to be opportunistically looking at that. Uh, because I do think I, if, if what I said about cities coming back and profitability 
pans out this year, then I want to be doubling and tripling down into this market because the world is ready for something better in transportation. And, and you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of talk about gas to electric. I think one of, I think that's important, absolutely important, but it is a woefully inadequate way to think about the future of transportation. Because the reason why cars consume so much energy is because it's 5,000 pounds. It's a 5,000 pound tank to move a 200 pound human. And even if we can go from gas to electric, you're not gonna change the law of physics. And so today, the number one cause of, of greenhouse gas in the United States is transportation. Do you know what's number two? Electricity. So if all we did is move from gas to electric, we're just gonna shift it to the other side. You've got to think about alternative modes of transportation that's lighter weight. If we're gonna get serious about the effects of climate change, all those things means that we got to invest in micromobility and we got to invest it out. And if there's an opportunity for us to turbocharge our mission through an IPO, through a SPAC, we're gonna be seriously taking a look at it. I would love to go for a ride with you on any anytime, any place, once we both get vaccinated and the world is, you know, somewhat like I said, return to normal. Have you thought at all about three-wheeled vehicles? I have lots of friends who are not, you know, confident on a scooter, which requires you to stand basically, or a bike or a, a moped, which is two wheels. What about three wheels? Something that you're looking at? Yeah, I, I love that. I love that thinking. You know, so like the way the way I think about these modes is I we we really try to get a sense of what do all the people do and use um, for any trip under five miles. Under five miles is sixty percent of the car trips, and particularly poorly served by cars because of all the setup time, parking time. And so we're thinking about okay, what what is the right next mode? We say, well, how are people using our modes today, and where are we not falling short? Either because of use case or economy, as you mentioned, or because certain demographics sometimes find different things less. Um, less compelling. So for example, on our e-bikes, we see a lot more women riders on e-bikes. We see older riders on e-bikes. We see people who take our e-bikes to the grocery store because there's a basket. It's hard to bring grocery stores back from a scooter. We see our e-mopeds traveling longer distances. And so when we think about the next mode and a third wheel, and maybe even a fourth wheel could make sense, especially in a covered vehicle, it's to ensure that we can travel in the winter uh, when it rains, also, as you point out, maybe there are certain demographics that are more interested in that type of mode. And we're going to be looking at all that until there's a day where you open our app and you say, ah, it has everything I need to do whatever I need. And so until we get there, we won't be stopping. We'll be experimenting more with new modes. All right. We have about two minutes left. So let me just ask you quickly. There's been a shift in demographics just in the United States, for sure, where people have moved out of cities and have taken this opportunity of the pandemic to relocate in places where life is more affordable or slower paced for a lot of reasons, has that affected your um, look at the world and the maps of where you might be putting these um, different modes of transportation in place in the near term? I mean, I know you're in now something like 135 plus cities. And so what is that uh, mental shift done to your expansion plans? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we actually see um, the line business work incredibly well in what people consider second, third tier cities in the United States. And, and because the, the, the need for a green, affordable, shared electric mode of transportation is universal. It's, it's as true in Tulsa, Oklahoma, one of our best cities. Imagine Tulsa is one of our best cities in the world, as it is true in Paris, another one of our best cities. So during this pandemic shift, we do see people moving out of some of these major cities. And that's actually helped us boom and grow faster in kind of second, third tier cities. I am optimistic about major cities coming back though. You saw, you know, recent, 
February home sales are up 11% fastest growth in 16 years. We're going to be seeing cities come back because people love and they're missing human to human interactions. They want to be outdoors. I think we're going to actually see a boom in both second and third tier cities where people are now giving us a chance. And we're going to see a big comeback in major cities where we're already strong and we're going to be investing more into those major metropolitan areas. All right. Well, I guess we're going to have to check back with you in a year and see how this is all played out. Thank you so much, Wayne, for talking to us a little bit about Lyme. And now I'm going to send it back to Toronto. Thanks for listening. And if you want to hear more about these topics firsthand, or you want to let us know what you want to hear, be sure to check us out on any of our social media accounts or visit websummit.com. That's websummit.com.